Welcome to This Much I Learn, Marketing Week's regular podcast in which we invite the great and good in marketing and beyond to impart their wisdom and perspective on marketing matters. My name is Russell Parsons, Editor-in-Chief of Marketing Week, and I am your host for this episode. Our guest today is Jane Stiller, CMO of ITV. Starting her career on Mars's graduate training scheme, she had a number of jobs at the food giant before moving to Innocent and then switching from food and drink to retail at M&S, where she spent four years in both its food and clothing business. In 2019, she moved to ITV, first as Director of Media, then as CMO, where she oversees strategy, creative, media and publicity for the broadcaster. A job she's had since December 2020 and during a challenging and eventful period for all in marketing, in particular broadcasting. To talk about her experience to date there, a career to now and thoughts on the marketing landscape, welcome to the podcast, Jane Stiller. Thanks, Russell. Pleasure to be here. So let me take you back to 2006 when you started your career at Mars. What would you say has changed in marketing since you started for better and for worse? I'm glad you're asking about marketing and not uh, not broad broad state of the world since 2006. Um, I think you know, so much has changed for the better. I think um, marketing now, I think it's got much more of a seat at, at the table when it comes to the boardroom. I do think marketeers um, are driving growth of more businesses. And I think the profession, I think, is respected more in terms of the craft. Um, and I think some of that does come from the advent of performance marketing. I know it's um, a polarizing topic, um, but I do think it's driven a lot more accountability um, into the marketing profession and into the marketing function. And I think it's enabled us to show that all channels actually, in terms of media, are performance channels. And I think it's been able to demonstrate, I guess, the the growth that marketing can deliver to an organization. So I think that's actually been uh, you know, a real move for the better. Um, I think it also provides the flip in terms of what's got worse. Um, and I say this kind of, I guess personally, I think from a career point of view, I think it's really hard to juggle so many different media channels, you know, the advent of MarTech, which just kind of wasn't really a thing back in 2006. Um, and, you know, having to be an expert on everything, you know, from creativity right through to data, right through to marketing technology, I think just makes the jobs probably much more challenging than they were previously. Um, also, lots more opportunity, lots more exciting in some ways. Um, but I do think it makes being a well-rounded marketeer and a marketing leader probably more challenging now than it was back then. So lucky for me, I was starting out back then. <laughs> lots to unpack there. Thanks for getting us started. Uh, just in terms of what you said, has improved since 2006. The comment that you made about marketing having a more of a seat at the table or more marketers having a, a seat at the table, I thought was an interesting observation, actually a refreshing one because lots of people bemoan marketing's lack of influence, not necessarily because they're harking back to a halcyon age, but that they feel that they're increasingly locked out of important conversations, but that's not something that you feel. But just explore that a little bit more for me, will you? Yeah, I, th I think for me, and again, it's based on my experience, I think starting consumer goods, obviously marketing, you know, was the heart of the business and, you know, you really understood how marketing could drive growth. Um, but having said that, you were always, I felt kind of one, one step away from, 
you know, the real kind of the P&L of the entire business, even if you looked after the P&L of your brand. And I think they're moving into retail and now into broadcast. You know, marketing has got a tangible impact on the trading performance of the business. Um, and I and I do think that puts us in a really strong commercial position from, from a marketing point of view. You know, when I think back to M&S, you know, we really were driving a lot of the growth week in, week out, be that through marketing, through targeted, you know, and tailored offers through the Sparks card, but also through big, you know, brand activations that we did. You know, we could demonstrate the value of that to the weekly, monthly performance of the business. And I think that really, you know, is a huge step forward for us as a um, as a profession. And then, you know, if I look at ITV, you know, look what we've done in the last year. You know, it's a, a year of ITVX. And, you know, look at what we've launched, you know, a, a, a product which is born out of a viewer insight, really understanding the market, you know, the fundamentals of marketing strategy, you know, delivering a proposition and a concept that viewers love um, and growing, you know, all of our viewing metrics and our revenue metrics double digit over the last year. So I think if you look at something like that, my experience actually is that marketing has transformed, uh, you know, the way ITV operates both externally and internally. Um, and so I, you know, again, I can only speak from my own experience, but I, I really see marketing driving a lot of the decision making um and again that's probably not something i experienced um it, when i was in consumer goods where you've got a whole you know a whole load of other factors to consider so I, I do think you know of course it's not it's not true of every organization or you know every, every part of the industry but i do think if you put the customer or the viewer at the heart of decision making for a business and i strongly believe that's a marketer's you know primary job is to bring that perspective and that vision to the board table, I do think great things happen, and you know that's that's our experience at ITV with with the with the performance and the success of ITVX over the last year. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about ITVX a little bit more later because I think it's a really interesting story of a, a marketing led transformation. But just going back to some of the points you made up top there about things that have improved, and you mentioned performance, you did acknowledge that that can be polarizing. I think people talk about performance negatively in a pejorative sense when they, when brands over-index on it, focus too much on the bottom of the funnel at the expense of brand. Uh, but when it comes to performance, you see this, again, used correctly as a, as a positive. I think it's really interesting. And working, obviously, for a media owner, it's really interesting because, you know, we have so much access to the work that our um, data team do, you know, for, for clients about outcomes, you know, and, and how marketing performs. And I think the thing that you, I think, see consistently over the past kind of probably five years, I guess, is the fact that the performance marketing has driven this kind of age of accountability, I guess, for marketing um, and really being able to demonstrate the outcome of the investment that you're making. And I think for me, that's a really positive thing. You know, we should be accountable as marketeers. We should be able to demonstrate that the things that we do, be that, you know, big experiential activation, you know, right through to a big TV campaign, right through to paid search. We should be able to demonstrate that all of those things are having an impact on the customer and that customer's behavior is changing positively as a result of the thing that we've done. And so I, I, I feel, as I said, performance marketing gets a bad name, but I think it's it's supercharged our industry to be more accountable. And I think that can only be a good thing um, when we're looking at how, like we talked about before, marketeers had to have a seat at the table on how they're accountable for driving growth of a business. Um, so, yeah, like I say, it, it can be it can be a slightly um, 
dirty word in our industry, but but I I think it's driven quite a lot of positive change. Well, I mean, it it shouldn't be seen so negatively as long as it's not um, taken in isolation or used exclusively. And uh, as I say, that would be at the expense of investment in brand. You have to invest. Yeah, you have to invest in everything. And you know, when I was at MS, I remember being you know really proud because we took loads of money out of you know big you know broadcast mass reach channels and we put it into you know much more performance led and everything tanked it was a disaster i mean you know, so in terms of what you know what what have i learned that was a big thing i was like oh this does not work you know and you saw it in the numbers you know within months it was we knew it was the wrong decision and so i think yeah it has it has to be a it has to be a balance you know you have you have to be able to manage your media mix i guess and uh, you know in a way that's correct for your brand but i think it's great seeing so many brands coming back into mass reach you know we're talking about i started at mars you know i was very much of the byron sharp um training you know he did he did all of our training and development back when i was at mars so you really got you know the full byron sharp experience locked in a uh, in a um, you know conference room with 20 other marketeers you know with him telling you everything he knew was wrong um but you know i, I genuinely believe in the power of you know mass marketing targeting you know you know big groups of people to be able to change behavior and you know so i i, I do think the, the switch away from that over the last 10 years you can see that renaissance of people coming back and realizing that you've got to have the full mix to be able to grow your brand and to grow your business it, it, it doesn't work if you do one and not the other yeah a hundred percent i mean and you're quite right to identify and acknowledge the fact that lots of people are realizing that it's a road to nowhere. ASOS, I don't know if you've been following their story, you're really in point. Yeah, that uh, uh, we're basically sweating the same group of people, uh, but in a real profitable way, haven't uh, taken a step back for some time to generate demand until now. Um, um, it's not a Damascene moment for them, but it's, um, it's a natural part of their evolution. Just going to what you said, or going back to what you said about uh, specialisms, which I think you identified as something that happened for the worse. I could ask you to explore that a little bit more. Um, is that a, a product of more data, more channels, particularly digital channels? And what is it at the expense of, did identify it as something that uh, wasn't um, a positive in your type of as i guess the industry has become more specialized if i think about talent pipelines you end up with people who are much more specialized within their field and that can be really helpful you know you, you want someone who is a paid search specialist or someone who's a display specialist you know they're intricate channels that you know really take a lot of expertise i think the hard thing is then when you're trying to, to develop well-rounded marketing leaders um i think that becomes much more challenging and you know we when we were launching ITVX, you know, we recognised that we really needed to broaden the skill set of our marketing function to be much more focused on the strategic end rather than the activation end. Um, which is why we sent, you know, I think we sent nearly a hundred people now on the Mark Ritson Mini MBA. Um, shout out to the Marketing Week, I should say, Mark Ritson Mini MBA, um, which is fantastic. But but a lot of that was to a gain a common language, but also I think really 
um, educate or re-educate ourselves around the fundamentals of marketing, you know, market orientation, segmentation, you know, the strategic decisions you make before you even get to activation. And you can see that playing out, you know, we'll talk later about ITVX, but you can really see that playing out, you know, understanding the market, understanding the opportunity, you know, d delivering a strategic proposition that was going to work with our viewers. And then we got onto, well, what's the launch campaign going to be? And, you know, how are we going to use paid search? How are we going to use paid social to activate this idea? But I, I, I think, I think too often, if you come through a, a single channel, you can be quite focused on what that single channel can do. And you don't necessarily go back up the kind of thought process to say, actually, what's, what's the strategic intent that we're trying to, um, you know, what's the behavior change, the strategic intent that we're trying to deliver here and how do my tactics enable me to deliver that goal? Um, and I'm not saying it's, it's, it's true of every specialist by any means, but I think, uh, you know, I, I think if I look back to the kind of classical training, I guess, that people have in consumer goods, you know, you, you're, you're not a channel specialist, you're a marketing specialist. And I, and I do think some of that is coming a bit unstuck as we look at talent pipelines coming through their industry at the moment. Absolutely. I mean, you can become uh, siloed in your thinking if yeah. you don't need time to look at the bigger picture. I mean, what isn't? I mean, strategy is absolutely about uh, where you want to play and uh, not necessarily how you're going to get there. Uh, you need to have that sense of direction before you work out the what and the how. And there is, I speak to marketers all the time, uh, some issues here about that future pipeline that you referred to. Mm -hmm. People know how to do something tactically and talk about it in, as if it's a strategy. Um, of course, as you quite rightly point out, um, it's not, um, and those fundamentals are being a bit uh, lost. It, it's quite apparent. Um, and uh, thank you for the shout out to uh, Martin Beekman MBA. That's uh, I'm I'm totaling as we're going along. That's one all to Mark Britson and firing shot. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, moving on. Um, did you have a, a career plan? I I, uh, I was interested to see. Uh, when researching this conversation that you've gone from food, I mentioned it in my introduction uh, to uh, to retail and now to media. Uh, are you perhaps looking for different experiences to test yourself in new environments? I'd love to say I had a very detailed plan, but in, of course, where, whenever you dig under the surface, I'm not sure anyone does. Um, no, I, I think the bit that I've looked for is interesting opportunities. You know, every every time where I've been looking for a move or thinking about a move or I've been approached for something, I kind of think, well, can I make a difference here? And also, you know, is it an interesting opportunity for me? Um, I, I think to your point around working across different industry, I'm I'm really passionate about diversity of thought. Um, and I think, I think as an industry, we get, you know, too focused on, Oh, well, I need someone who's worked in TV forever to come and work for a TV company or, you know, financial services. They can only have worked in financial services. I think there's too much, um, like more of the same thinking, to be honest. Um, and I noticed that when I, you know, when I joined ITV, it was like when you looked at all of our job specs, we're going out to the market, you know, one of our sort of essential criteria, you know, they had to have worked in TV. And I just thought, no, they don't. They don't have to have worked in TV. They need to be really good at what they do. And, but they don't have to have worked in TV. The two things can be um, can be mutually exclusive. Um, so I think for me, yes, that, that diversity of thought has really served me well. Like the experience that I had from, like I said, Mars really served me well when I went into retail. 
you know, the, the retail experience has really served me well as we've led this kind of digital transformation at ITB, um, you know, culminating in, in the, the launch of ITBX. So those different experiences have been, for me, really helpful in building the type of marketing leader I am. Um, and so I do, do really encourage my team as much as possible to recruit from outside of our sector. And I think, you know, encourage people when they're looking at their, you know, squiggly career path to think about, you know, it doesn't all have to be within the same industry. I, th I think you can gain a lot of experience and a lot of um, perspective through not working always in the same industry. Yeah. And I think it can be a great benefit. I've talked to a lot of people who have gone to different sectors and deliberately done so. It was part of their career management plan. And the reason that they've done so is that they can bring fresh eyes to a problem. Yeah. I think, uh, when you do recruit only from your sector or category, then you are risking embedded institutional behavior. Yeah. We can't do that. Why? Because that's just not the way we do things around here. And I suppose for a true market orientation person, uh, it does help to not know anything, I suppose. It does. It does. Although having said that, I feel that we have a, a, a great blend. I'm very fortunate at ITV to have a fantastic leadership team, some of which are, you know, new to ITV, like Nikki Garner, who's just come in to run our um, in-house creative agency. But then I've got, you know, other people who've been at ITV for a long time. And I think that blend really helps, you know, so when those of us who haven't worked in this industry for a long time say, oh, why can't we do this? And why can't we do that? We've got great people who can say, well, actually, we tried that. This is what we learned. How could we do it differently this time? So I think if you've got people with the right attitude, but also that depth of knowledge within a certain industry, the blend of that with people who come from outside the industry, I think, can be really powerful. And I think, again, that's one of the bits, you know, if I look at, you know, my leadership team um, at ITV, and I'm, like I said, so fortunate to have so many talented people, when I look at the blend, it, that's the bit that I think has enabled us to be so successful because... We see it from a number of different perspectives, one of which is really knowing the TV market really well. So you kind of need to have both, I think. To ITV, it's a brand embedded in popular culture. Um, it's not quite the same political football as the BBC, of course, but its content is consequential. It reaches a lot of people, it entertains a lot of people, it informs a lot of people. It must have been a dream job for you when you got this CMO gig? Oh, genuinely a dream job. I think if I was to go back to when I was, you know, marketing manager on Galaxy and say, you know, in time you're going to be a CMO of ITV, I would have said no, you know, no chance. <laughs> that would have been my dream job. And it's funny, both my parents worked in TV, making TV, not, um, not on the kind of business side of TV. So I kind of grew up in a TV household. So to finally, I guess, return to um, you know, to, to TV at this stage of my career was a real dream. Um, and I think, like you said before, you know, what an incredible brand to work on. You know, we are so fortunate. And if you go back to the Mark Ritson and uh, Byron Sharp, so oh, cool. um, but if you go back to, you know, a lot of their thinking around, it's all about top of mind awareness. It's all about salience. It's all about driving, you know, driving people to give a shit about your brand. And I think, you know, we're so fortunate with a brand like ITV that, you know, we're slightly ahead of the curve on that because people do care a little bit more about us than they probably do about what toilet roll they buy. Um, and, you know, 
equally because of the nature of our shows, because of the nature of our talent, you know, we can be noisy, we can cut through, we can do things, um, you know, that, that make the nation sit up and, and take attention of us, make, you know, get, make pay attention to us. Um, and equally, we can use that force for good as well, you know, looking at all the work we've done around Britain Get Talking, you know, generating over 100 million, you know, mental health conversations across the nation, you know, the, the power of a brand to be able to reflect, shape, change British culture, you know, it's, it's such a gift. I, I feel very, very fortunate to have the job I have. Yeah, as I say, I, I think I use the word consequential and uh, you point out that the content that you produce as well as the stars that you can boast um, are of interest to people. So as much as it is a reason for it being a dream job, it must be difficult when you are facing reputational challenges like... For example, uh, the form of this morning presenter, Philip Schofield, I'm sure most people listening will be aware of what happened earlier this year. I mean, how do you as CMO tackle those kind of reputational challenges uh, when they uh, when they do occur? I think, of course, you know, it's, it's always challenging when your brand's being talked about in the press, you know, particularly in that specific example that you talk about, in ways that I think you don't recognise yourself. You know, you, you know, it's, it's not been my experience working here. Um, and I think that's always challenging and challenging when you're leading, you know, a team to make sure that, you know, you lead them th through some of that, you know, negativity that's coming across in the press. I, I think the interesting thing from a brand point of view, actually, is, you know, we, we didn't see our brand metrics over the long term really shift dramatically as a result of some of those storms that we've weathered. And, um, you know, of course, at the time, you know, specifically around the Philip Schofield um, uh, activity, you know, of course, we had a bit more negative buzz than we did positive buzz the week before. Um, but actually, we kind of saw a lot of those scores write themselves. And, you know, I think, again, probably a Mark Ritson, uh, but, you know, a lot of people don't really don't really care and, and, and things go back to normal, things get forgotten. Um, and I think that's kind of what we see in a lot of our brand metrics. We have these really noisy spikes, mm. but actually, you know, the the the, um, the status quo, I guess, of our brand metrics tend to go back to you know to where they were performing before, and that's what we've seen, you know, throughout throughout this year as well. Um, so, I, you know, I think I think it's always difficult. Of course, it is. Um, but I think also we we recognise that that's the opportunity, I guess, that we have with our brand, which is to get the nation talking. Um, and, you know, we, we obviously try and stay on the right side of that as much as we possibly can. ITV is exposed to uh, a lot of macro, a lot of the uncertainty in in, uh, in the economy and, of course, some of the behaviour changes uh, in uh, in consumption as well. Um, you've got no, a lot of nervous marketers, I can attest to this out there, handling or facing handling smaller budgets. And when you couple that with some of the changes in consumption, um, that has undoubtedly led to a dent in ITV's revenue, which obviously uh, in large part does come from advertisers. I mean, what kind of headwinds are you and your team seeing in terms of the macroeconomic challenges that all marketers face, but particularly in terms of the impact on ITV in the year ahead, say? Yeah, I think, I mean, well, first, if we kind of look at the, you know, the year to date, of course, yeah, it's been really tough. And I think Carolyn, our CEO, has been very public, you know, talking about an advertising recession and, you know, and how, how and a downturn and how that's impacted us. I think the interesting thing is, I guess, decoupling that from our viewing performance, actually. 
because um, if you look at our viewing performance, actually a lot of our ITVX streaming product has offset, you know, some of the linear decline. So actually our viewing is kind of about flat, you know, minus one um, for this year, which considering how much competition there is in the market, we, we feel is actually a pretty good result, you know, to be there or thereabouts in terms of total volume of viewing um, year on year. Um, and I think, you know, again, if you look at, you know, we'll talk about ITVX in, in a minute, but if you look at that strategy, you know, we're up, you know, 96% in terms of light viewers coming to ITVX, you know, we're up double digit in terms of our monthly active users and our streaming hours and revenues up significantly as well. So, you know, there's there's some real positives, I guess, for us in terms of delivering our strategy within 2023. And I think we're really proud of what we've achieved. And um, looking forward, of course, you know, I wish I had a crystal ball and I could control the government, control the economy, and, you know, everything would come good in 2024. I think, you know, we're realistic about, you know, what the prospects of that are. And, you know, of course, that's outside of our control. Um, the bits that we can control are making sure that we bring in, you know, big viewing audiences in a brand safe environment so that advertisers, when they are ready to spend, uh, are spending it with ITB. And, um, you know, we're already seeing a lot of our, you know, big, big advertisers come back in for Christmas. You know, we're hoping that a lot of that kind of builds into the new year as well as, you know, hopefully marketers similar to me have, you know, read the analysis, you need to spend through a downturn, you need to make sure that you consistently, you know, um, advertise your brand. And, you know, that's what we're doing. We, we're, we're increasing our investment actually in marketing next year in, in our current plans. So I hope, like I say, that, you know, if I was able to wave a magic wand, that the ad market will be great because of all the economic growth that we're going to get as a result of uh, the, to the government. But but aside from that, the bit that we can control is making sure that we bring those big audiences in, that we continue to grow our streaming product. And I think the plans that we've got for next year give us a lot of confidence that that will be the case. It's uh, nice to hear that you're, I suppose, practicing what you preach or what you would preach yeah. or, this, or yourself. It's a funny position, yeah. It's so, it's so funny because you're a marketer in a media owner. So it's always really, you know, it's kind of a funny thing. We are almost the case study um, for, 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 you know, what we would recommend to other clients, which is actually funny because when we do our econometrics, one of our biggest channels is TV. So we find ourselves spending with our competitors because it's such a high performing channel, which always feels a bit weird um, when you're yeah, spending with your competitors to advertise with them feels feels bizarre. But that's that's the reality of the situation you are when you're in the media. Aren't you? Indeed. Uh, ITVX, uh, you mentioned it. I've uh, referred to it a couple of times. Um, be interesting to go uh, inside that story a little bit more closely. Um it launched last year, and it's uh, it's been a success, I think, by most objective standards. Indeed, a multiple marketing week awards winner just recently. Uh, again, talk to me a little bit more about why or where that was born from. What 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 were you trying to do? What were the objectives, and uh, and how did you get the stakeholder engagement? Because it doesn't. I mean, you talk about it like it was a a straightforward birth, but I can imagine it took. Quite a lot of stakeholder persuasion. So give me the inside track, Ken. It did, and it's funny, we're, we're a year on from launch. It's funny, all those stakeholders that were probably difficult to get over the line and now saying, oh my God, it's the best thing ever. You know, yeah, what's the expression yeah. about success has lots of parents or something? Yes, exactly. Yeah, failure only has one. Um, no, do you know what? We're, we're so proud of it. And like you said, we're so, we're so excited and pleased with the results. Um, in terms of where it came from, uh, you know, Obviously, we are very close to what our viewers are saying to us, but we're also very close to 
I guess, the, the feeling of the business. And I think you know, as a marketeer, but I think also you know as a business, if the people inside your business aren't proud of the product that you've got. And I think if you're not proud of them and you don't want to tell your friends at the pub about them, you've got a problem. And I think for quite a while we knew that ITV Hub, although a, you know a solid product, wasn't really cutting the mustard when it came to a lot of the new competitive entrants within the market. And so I think we felt kind of internally that we weren't super proud of the product we were putting out in the market. And we'd known that for a while. I think then viewer sentiment really changed throughout COVID. You know, obviously the rise of streaming and COVID and people, you know, much kind of more preferential towards on-demand viewing happened throughout COVID. So we kind of then had a viewer change in behavior that started to become quite substantial. And that for us, I guess, was the tipping point as to when it became commercially viable for us. Because, you know, people forget we are a commercially funded broadcaster. You know, we don't take any money from from anyone apart from advertisers to run our business. Um, and therefore, for us, there needed to be a critical mass in terms of an on-demand streaming, you know, um, targeted addressable platform for advertisers before, you know, it was worth the investment for us. So that kind of, you know, cost benefit analysis, return on investment needed to be there before we made, you know, we made a big, big statement in the on-demand market. Um, and that really started to come in COVID. So like I say, you know, as as viewer behavior really started to, you know, um, splintering off towards on demand, we recognized that, you know, now was the moment when our viewers needed this, our advertisers needed this. Um, and like I said, it was an opportunity to make our colleagues proud um, and, and deliver the product that we knew that we could <laughs> if we had the right investment and we had the right ambition. So a lot of it was getting people really excited about it, you know, and, and talking about the opportunity for ITV to, you know, to gain our fair share of that market, to really put our money where our mouth is and deliver, you know, a proposition that was rooted within the viewer's need um, and deliver that to market in an exciting, different, you know, and and, and special way. Um, and I think in terms of stakeholders, you know, a lot of it was painting the vision of the future. You know, we did the usual, you know, charts and slides, as you can imagine, for some stakeholders, we brought real life viewers into the room for other stakeholders, so they could really hear, you know, what the ITV brand meant. And the fact that, you know, people were going elsewhere for their on demand needs, because, you know, the ITV hub product wasn't where it needed to be. So there was a lot of different tactics, I guess, to, to, to bring to life the need for our stakeholders. Um, but actually, once we kind of pushed the button, it was amazing how the business rallied together, you know, really, had this huge momentum, you know, as a lot of businesses get before a launch, um, where, you know, a lot of people in the business who probably hadn't spoken for ages, not because they'd fallen out, just because they hadn't needed to, they needed to collaborate in that way. That kind of fusion of different skill sets, different capabilities really came together um, to be able to launch what, you know, we feel is a, you know, properly market, market leading product. Um, so yes, a, a, a bit of a synopsis, a positive history of, of why we got to where we got to. And when it comes to ITVX, I mean, who do you see yourself competing with there? I mean, is it as straightforward as your answer to streaming services, Netflix? How does it how does it how does it play as part of your general content offer and strategy? I think from a viewer point of view, of course, it's a it's a fight for people's attention for for content, and that comes right from your traditional players, you know, like you know, BBC, uh, you know, Channel 4, Netflix, you know, uh, Amazon Prime, all of those, you know, all of that gang, but right through to TikTok, YouTube, you know, you're, you're fighting for people's attention. The good news, I think, on a lot of those social platforms is people tend to double screen, you know, so 
they will be watching long form content while they're also on TikTok, for example. So you know, you you still you get the benefit of two rather than them cutting down actually on some of their um, uh, some of their viewing. But I think you know ultimately the the competitive marketplace in our um, in our industry is only hotting up. You know, <laughs> there's there's only more more people entering the market. Um, you know, there's there's a big fight for attention. I think that's why it was so critical that we came out with such a strong proposition. And I think so critical as well that we did it advertiser funded. You know, there, there are there's no bigger AVOD proposition than ITBX. Mm. And, you know, for us, ultimately we deliver what our advertisers need and what our viewers need. Um, and I think that's where, you know, we, we hope that we have the market advantage in terms of being free, being advertising funded, gives people, particularly in a cost of living crisis, you know, a, a real reason to come. Yeah, and what do you think's next uh, in the battle for attention? Yeah. Ever more fragmented. I think ever more, yeah, ever more fragmented. I think you know it'll be interesting to see what happens in the US in some consolidation and things like that. I think for us, it's putting our best foot forward, really understanding our viewers, really understand how the ITVX proposition resonates with them, how we tweak it, how we make sure that we're making it as relevant as possible. And then I think it is those big content moments. You know, look at things like Big Brother, you know, Big Performer, look at, you know, I'm a celeb on at the moment, Big Performer, but also, you know, our dramas. We had, you know, real success with a drama called Love and Death, you know, earlier um, this year. It was an acquisition brought over from the States. Again, not something you could necessarily expect to be on traditional ITV, but because of ITVX, it gave us the license to do it differently. Um, again, we've got The Winter King coming up on the 22nd of December. So a kind of, you know, very different, you know, kind of Game of Thrones-esque, um, big, you know, big, big budget show that you wouldn't again expect to see on ITV One, you know, at nine PM, and it's it's going on to ITVX. So I think for us, it's really understanding what our viewers want, really investing big in some of those key tentpole moments, and back to our bit earlier around getting the market orientation right. Really understanding the positioning of those shows because you know now we're spending a lot of money promoting things. <laughs> You know, you've got to get it right. You, you know, you've got to make sure that you're positioning it in a way that is compelling to the target viewers. You know, that we want to come and watch it, and that's been a really interesting learning for us over the last year. Of you know, if you position something a little bit like this or a little bit like that, it can have a dramatic difference. You know, look at My Mum, Your Dad that we launched um, earlier this year. Amazing show. If you haven't watched it, I would really highly recommend it. Perhaps just for my benefit, but for anybody else listening who hasn't seen it, uh, how would you? What would be the elevator? For, what was it again? Your mum. Well, my mum, your dad. Well, and this is the thing. So you know, for something like that, you know, we really went into viewer testing to understand well how should we position it because a lot of the press had positioned it as kind of Love Island for middle-aged people. That was kind of it was presented by Davina McCall. That was the kind of traction that was happening in the press. But actually, it was a really you know really quite moving. Actually, a, a lot of the interactions that happened um, on the show, and um, you know people who'd you know gone through a lot in their lives and now were meeting people later in life and there was you know a lot of emotion within that so actually if we had positioned it you know more like love island which is much more light-hearted much more fun you know fun in the sun actually that would have been quite different from what the show was and actually what our viewers wanted from it which was like I say much more of an emotional journey and roller coaster that they wanted to go on with these people so again there's a good example where you know the, the the way that we position something can be the difference between it being a hit and it not being a hit and so really understanding our viewers has to be at the heart um of everything we do and, and making sure that we capture the essence of a show in a way that resonates with those viewers um is really critical yeah 
And it, 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 I guess it's no bigger of a job than any marketer. You obviously have to get your orientation right, your positioning correct, and all the other levers uh, pulled in the right order at the right time. But you've got a lot of new product and a lot of new content launching all the time. So the stakes are always high for you guys, I imagine. That's the biggest difference, I think, coming from, in fact, you, know, you talked about my career earlier, going from consumer goods where, you know, you really launch something very rarely, <laughs> you know, and you, it was a very considered thing that you launched and you need to probably worked on it for two or three years. Then going into retail, I think I remember my first day in retail, I walked, um, I walked the store in M&S with the head of product and I just spent my last year at Innocent launching a coconut water, one coconut water. Um, and it was, you know, really labored process. And it took ages, loads of insight. Blah, blah, blah. And I went into retail and there was an actual coconut with a straw in it <laughs> um, in on, on the shop, you know, on the shop shelf, you know, available for people to buy. And the head of products, she said, oh, I've never seen that product. She didn't even know we were launching that. And I thought, there's the difference in terms of speed. You know, the head of product doesn't even know that a product has launched because it's happened so quickly <laughs> versus us spending a year, you know, innocent trying to get this one product out. Um, and then the speed, I think, just goes up even further when you get into broadcast. Like you say, you're, you're basically launching a new brand pretty much every month um, and trying to find the right orientation for it, trying to find the right audience. Overlay that, obviously, with your master brand and the perceptions of your master brand, you know, and, and the positioning of that. But, you know, the difference between Love Island to, I don't know, ITV news, to daytime shows, to, you know, a hard-hitting drama like Love and Death, you know, about a murder in America. You know, you're constantly having to flex and find that sweet spot that is right for the master brand, but also right for that content brand. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's not easy. It's not, but never a dull moment. Never a dull moment. I imagine, anyway. Um, just reflecting on your career to date, if you could identify one thing that you regret, one mistake that you made, and what you learned from it, what would that be? I mean, you mentioned I'm an S earlier on, but uh, aside from that, is there a, is there a single moment that perhaps did keep you awake for a while, but perhaps has emboldened you, you've grown from? What would it be? Um, good question. I think, I mean, lots of individual mistakes, of course, but but now we now we rebrand them as learnings, don't we? So they're not mistakes; they're just learnings. That's um, right. Yeah, exactly. And do you know what? Oh my God, we've learned so much in the last year of ITVX. Honestly, like so many things that we launched, thinking, oh, it'll definitely be like this, and actually, we got into it. We learned, you know, we learned from viewers and thought, oh my God, no, we, it's actually completely different. It's like this. We need to reposition it, and you know, we're doing that daily, weekly monthly you know you learn you learn things and technically you could say they're mistakes but actually you know they're learnings I think from a career point of view for me um uh, it's interesting you know you talk about career mistakes um I, I do strongly believe I, I probably could have thought of all of my moves as a mistake in, in some ways but they but they've led me to where I got to and I think you know it's interesting when I went to Innocent I really didn't um love innocent I didn't like the culture particularly I loved the people they were brilliant and it's an amazing business and I learned so much um but I was kind of trying to set up a European or kind of global marketing function um and I definitely found that kind of global local interaction really challenging and I you know and I didn't I didn't enjoy it um so you could have said going from Mars where I was really happy you know really enjoying my job you know had loads of opportunity 
to innocent where I didn't love it, but I learned loads was a mistake. But I think again, you know, thinking about people's career paths, I kind of feel like you've got to go through those because you learn about what you like and what you don't like. You know, I wouldn't wouldn't have gone to MS if it hadn't been for Innocent. I wouldn't have been at ITV if it hadn't been at MS. So I kind of think it all comes out in the wash to a certain extent. And you've got to, like I said, I do, it, it sounds a bit naff, but I do genuinely think the mistakes are learnings because you learn more about yourself. You learn more about your product. You learn more about your viewer, your customer, whatever it is. So I think, you know, I, I think people give them, themselves too much of a hard time about mistakes they've made versus just thinking, well, it's all part of the learning experience. I feel that's as close to philosophy as we're going to get, but it's definitely a positive, uplifting moment and thought to finish on. So I'll thank you for your time, Jane. You have been listening to This Much I Learned with me, Russell Parsons, and produced by Georgie Chantrell Plants. You can listen to previous episodes of the podcasts at Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Until next time, goodbye.